You are listening to Pod Save the Rest of Us. Thank you for tuning in. Do your skin a solid with solid lotion bars. No water is used in the process of making these bars. Just simple ingredients like butters, oils, and beeswax. Bars are solid at room temperature. Simply warm the bar on your hands or directly on dry skin areas, and your body heat melts it into a usable lotion. Each bar comes packaged in a portable tin, so you can keep one in your gym bag, purse, desk drawer, or next to the kitchen sink. Great for travel and gift giving. There are 12 solid options, something for everyone, from citrus burst to cranberry fig to freshly shaved for men. As solid, we pride ourselves on a solid product while doing a solid unto others. A portion of our proceeds will go directly to a local charity. Please look for our website soon at www. Dot solidlotionbar.com. Be solid. Do solid. Do your skin a solid. Hey, parents out there with children in grades pre-K through ninth grade, are you struggling to keep your children up with current learning trends and academic demands? Well, one of our sponsors, the JEI Learning Center, can help. JEI Learning Centers offer worldwide tutoring services with over 140 centers in the U.S., All JEI Learning Centers are state-aligned, and they teach the new Common Core curriculum. So let the JEI Learning Centers assess and prescribe your child with the perfect individualized academic program. If you go to Livermore or Santa Clara Centers, ask for the Pod Save the Rest of Us discount. I personally know the JEI program works. So visit their website at us.jei.com and find the Learning Center nearest you. Again, that's us.jei.com. Let these trained academic specialists give your child the academic support he or she needs. No person in the United States shall, on the basis of sex, be excluded from participation in, be denied the benefits of, or be subjected to the discrimination under any education program or activity receiving federal financial assistance. Remember when we all seemed to share the same American dream? When we all thought every U.S. citizen should have an equal opportunity to achieve success and prosperity through hard work, determination, and initiative? Did that dream just go away? We at Pod Save the Rest of Us do not think so. We believe we all want to be happy. We all want our kids to have a wonderful life. We believe all have common ground. This is Pod Save the Rest of Us. Let's find that common ground again. Easy going, easy come. Where'd you get your info from? I found mine on Reuters. Fact-checked by three sources that were fact-checked for biases and are equal opportunity employers. Welcome back, Pod Save the Rest of Us listeners. We have a great episode for you today, so let's start the clock and get this game started. For today's episode, we will be exploring the federal legislation, Title IX. This federal mandate was signed into law in 1972 by then-President Richard Nixon. For episode two, we'll focus on Title IX as it applies to the athletic arena. Next week, we'll tackle Title IX as it it applies to helping protect all students from a hostile environment, including sexual harassment in our academic and professional hallways. You won't want to miss this episode as it shines a light on this very timely human issue. Title IX for this issue is important as well because it demonstrates how this powerful legislation has opened doors and playing fields for all boys and girls who may have felt athletic doorways were not open for them once before. Given that the Winter Olympics are upon us now, one could say that we here at Pod Save the Rest of Us have caught the Olympic bug. Although I gotta say I have some conflicting thoughts when it comes to how the Olympics are governed. But I, like most of us, grew up loving the Olympic Games, and my appreciation and respect for the athletes and their well-honed athletic prowess has never waned. So yeah, we here at Ponce, the rest of us, we got a bit of the Olympic fever. Our fever has led to so many thoughts and Google searches. For example, I learned that no American woman competed in the first modern games held in Athens in 1896, 
But during the 2004 Athens Olympic Games, 257 females, along with 274 males, represented the United States. And in the Athens, two women, Dawn Staley of basketball and Mia Hamm of soccer, they led the U.S. delegation during the opening and closing ceremonies. As these numbers indicate, the role American women play in the most global of sports events has significantly evolved through the last century. Yet, no one has fully examined this evolution, and there has been no forum for female Olympians to voice their opinions about the journey of women Olympians, how they felt, and eventually overcome the obstacles along the way, and where they stand today. So, for episode two, we want to explore one big red flaring obstacle— women being excluded from competition. And wouldn't you know it, just as we thought we heard it all, this entered our space. Like jumping down from, let's say, about two meters on the ground about a thousand times a year, which seemed not to be appropriate for ladies from a medical point of view. Ugh, how are women still dealing with misogynist ideology and are seriously being excluded from sport participation simply because some man thinks she should be protected so her baby-making machine works properly? So our frustration with this comment helped to shape this episode as we wanted to learn more. We wanted to explore Title IX and we wanted to examine this U.S. mandate in relationship to international progress regarding gender equality. So what is Title IX? Title IX is a federal law that requires any agency which receives federal funds cannot discriminate on the basis of gender, and this is especially noted in any educational activity, including athletics. Female athletes and all those non-normative gender norms, therefore, should be treated as well as their male counterparts that have always been treated with due respect. Title IX intended to bridge the gender gap. This federal legislation encompassed 37 words, which changed everything for females in sports. These 37 words are as follows. No person in the United States shall, on the basis of sex, be excluded from participation in, be denied the benefits of, or be subjected to the discrimination under any education program, or activity receiving federal financial assistance. No person in the United States shall, on the basis of sex, be excluded for participation in, be denied the benefits of, or be subjected to discrimination under any education program or activity receiving federal financial assistance. These 37 words provided opportunities for girls, unlike any other single piece of legislation in history before. This 46-year-old mandate was designed to provide an equitable quality education, which was not the case prior to the passage of this important law. In a nutshell, Title IX requires proportional participation opportunities. The percentage of female athletes in the athletic program, number of athletes, not number of teams, needs to match the percentage of girls in the student body. The only defense to not having this number of participation in the school is that The school is demonstrating it's gradually adding women's sports over time to try and expand participation as it shows that it's actually added teams rather than just saying it will, or if it has already accommodated the interests and abilities of girls and no girl wants to play another sport in that school or its recruiting district. Title IX requires that college female athletes receive scholarship dollars proportional to their sport participation. And even though Title IX was passed in 1972, at the college level, male athletes still today receive $133 million more scholarship dollars than female athletes every year. However, the scholarship situation is improving and schools are being forced through the courts to meet their legal obligations to be equitable. The late and great legendary women's basketball coach, Pat Summit eloquently expresses how important Title IX has been for girls in sports. It's amazing, um, the change uh, because of Title IX. And, you know, it, it was just, uh, you know, very fortunate that uh, I was able to, to see that and to understand uh, how many people were going to benefit because of Title IX. 
when writing the Title IX legislation, the members of Congress made sure to leave no stone unturned as they applied the scope of its mandate to all institutions that receive federal financial assistance, including state and local education agencies. Also included are our vocational rehabilitation agencies and education agencies of 50 states, the District of Columbia, and territories and possessions of the United States. Education programs and activities that receive education funds must operate in a non-discriminatory manner. Some key issue areas in which recipients have Title IX obligations are recruitment, admissions, and counseling, financial assistance, athletics, sex-based harassment, treatment of pregnant and parenting students, discipline, single-sex education, and employment. Also, a recipient may not retaliate against any person for opposing an unlawful education practice or policy, or made charges, testified, or participated in any compliant action under Title IX. For a recipient to to retaliate in any way is considered a violation of Title IX. Title IX, quite literally, was a game changer. How much of a game changer was this legislation? Well, the act has become a major achievement towards gender equality, having the most visible impact in women's collegiate sports. Within the first three years of Nixon's administration, the National Championship of Women's Sports was announced to include gymnastics, track and field, swimming, badminton, basketball, and volleyball. When Congress passed Title IX in 1972, women received only 2% of the school athletic budget. There were no athletic scholarships for women, and fewer than 3,200 women competed in intercollegiate athletics. Today, women competing at the college level now roughly represents 43% of college athletics nationwide. Title IX has opened new possibilities for women and girls. We sat down with Professor Linda Sawyer to learn more about these opportunities. Today, I'm speaking with Professor Linda Sawyer from Cal State East Bay. Professor Sawyer is a well-respected lecturer in teacher education and kinesiology. She also supervises credential candidates in physical education fieldwork. Prior to her professorship, she taught high school for 38 years, and for 36 of those years, she served as an athletic director, first for girls, and this was just after Title IX had passed, and then in 1974, she became the athletic director for the entire program. While serving as the athletic director, Professor Sawyer's helped the girls interscholastic program grow from two sports to 13, and she has been instrumental in promoting and encouraging equal opportunities for all students. Professor Sawyers has spent her career as an active Title IX advocate in the district where she worked, in the leagues where she served, and in the North Coast section and state CIF on various committees. She continues to push equal opportunities in her workplace. Thank you for being here today, Dr. Sawyers. I really appreciate it. And I know our listeners are going to learn a lot from you today. Thank you. All right. Well, let's just get started right into it. Do you believe that Title IX was a catalyst for change? Yes, Title IX was a catalyst for change. I think change was happening, but at a much slower pace. Title IX has provided the structure for lots of things to happen, and they happened a lot faster than they would have. Like we went from one interscholastic sport for girls at the high school to 13 over my tenure as AD. And the same thing with the boys, actually. It became more than football, basketball, baseball, and and track. all the new, the cross country, badminton, all these sports. So things have changed considerably over the time. How has Title IX impacted your career? I graduated in 1970 and got my, or 1969, and got my teaching job in 1970. So it was pre-Title IX. Where did you go right out of graduating? Um, I went straight into the credentialed program. And then there weren't a whole lot of teaching jobs in 1970, especially in physical education, but I was lucky enough to land a teaching job at Los Lomas High School in Walnut Creek. If Title IX was not passed, how would that have affected sports, school, society? Do you think the women's professional basketball and soccer leagues, etc., could have been possible? 
I know it's a big question, so I, break it down, whatever comes to your mind. I think women's professional sports would not be in existence. I think the women's hockey team for the Olympics would not be in existence. Things would have happened in my mind, but they would have not they would not have happened as rapidly. It it enforced change. Can you give any examples of of time before? Do you recall a time before Title IX? You said there wasn't Title IX where you're teaching where maybe Maybe it kept you or kept females from athletics. Do you remember any of that? Well, there was no girls' athletics, so to speak, prior to mm, pretty much 1970 in this area. There was GAA, Girls' Athletics Association, which was more intramural with um, Saturday play days where you would meet other schools. One of the first sports that I became semi-involved with that had actual competition with other schools was women's gymnastics. And many of the high school teams, many of the high schools in the Bay Area had teams. And there was not a dual meet schedule, but there were like invitationals. And were you involved in athletics when you were a child? Did you have any siblings or anything that brought you along in that? I'm the oldest of two, and like I said, the only athletics we had was Girls Athletic Association. I was very involved. I did every sport they offered. My sister was a runner and ran with the boys' track team when she was in high school, but never got to compete. She just got to work out with them. Yeah, I remember in high school, during the basketball unit, it was the boys would go and play basketball, and the girls would go and do gymnastics. And I was a basketball player. I thought this was totally unfair. And I finally, by my senior year, was able to convince them we should have a right to choose. All the girls chose gymnastics and and uh, aerobics, and I chose basketball. So I was the only girl in there. I had zero problems with it. I loved it. It's funny that you should mention that because even when I was student teaching, we were beginning to look at choice programs. Mm-hmm. And the beauty was you could offer two you have two teachers, one period. You could offer basketball. That was a large group activity and something else like aerobics right. or badminton. So the students, no matter what sex they were, could right. gravitate to what they wanted. Who, who enforces or is in charge of Title IX at your university? Well, at the university, and this is where I had to seek higher authority, (laughs) there is a Title IX compliance officer, and they work um, in risk management, which is directly involved with administration and finance. The woman that is the vice president for administration and finance risk management falls under her domain, and that's where the Title IX compliance officer works out of. And is that the same Title IX officer who oversees athletics? Yes, okay. but there is someone with that job that works in the athletics department that works in um, conjunction with the compliance officer and is more direct report to that person about this is what's going on, here's what's happening, here's how many athletes we have, here's our budgets, here's our scholarships. Has the university ever experienced any um, infractions regarding Title IX that you know of? I would say no, but I qualify that, and this is part of my history. When CalNow sued the um, CSUs over football, and it, well, it was basically football, but it was that women should have equal opportunity to compete. There, there were some issues, football being the big one, because there are very few sports that offer participation for as many as football does. Even though many of the schools at that time were non-scholarship, there's just the chances to participate in athletics 
is inequitable if there's a football team. Football is also very expensive and it may or may not bring in money to the department and in many of the CSUs, it did not. Right. So as a result of the CalNow lawsuit against the CSUs, schools had to offer opportunities for athletic participation based on the percentage of the student body. So at Cal State Hayward, East Bay, at that time it was 60% females, 40% male, so therefore the Gotta one that it. went yeah, was football. Right. And and we brought on they brought on more women's sports at the time and many of the men's sports disappeared. I I know that's been controversial. Do you have any opinions on that? Cuz I think I think creating opportunities is great, but I don't think opportunities should be created at the expense of other opportunities. Like, I don't want to take yours away so that I could have mine. I, I very much agree with you there. But, but when you look at it, it's like balancing a budget. We only have Fair enough. X amount of dollars, so we have to balance the budget. I want to get back to the compliance uh, part of it. Do you think anyone can be truly, truly trained and competent at, 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 at policing such a complicated issue? It's very complicated and the training piece is huge and therefore the person that they put in that position has to have lots of training. But there is help and or guidelines from both the federal level, the state level, the CSU level, that includes um, lawyers and their take on things. So there's help and places to seek answers if you can't interpret or understand what or how to solve a problem. And um, are there any stories you'd like to share with us? I just. Uh, I have lots of memories of, of activities like that where I had my students were happy because they could do what they wanted. I remember when I had two young ladies come to me and say, we want to wrestle, what do we do? And so I went to the section office and we talked and they, they talked about um, how we can make this work, like they had to wear bathing caps so that they wouldn't have hair that the person they were wrestling could grab. I have another story, not necessarily a good one, but Cal State Hayward dropped football, which was my husband's job. He was a football coach. And they dropped it because of need to balance out the athletic program. So his livelihood changed for the better, actually. But at the time, I was a little bitter. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, we're going to wrap up. I just want to thank you so much for coming out here. I, I know you're so busy, and I can't thank you enough. Thank you very much, Elizabeth. Turning our attention to some of the most recent female athletic accomplishments, it's difficult to not take note of this campaign quote offered by Donald J. Trump Sr. Trump was elected in part because he stated, we will win so much with him as our president, we'll get tired of winning. The problems with that statement, one, no one gets tired of winning, ever. And two, America was already winning in so many categories, especially since the passing of Title IX. In so many ways, women in worldwide sport competition have been unstoppable. At the 2012 Olympics in London, U.S. women won more medals for the first time than American men. They won 58 to the men 45. London also marked the first time the U.S. sent more women to the games than men. At the Rio Games, American women again outnumbered men, 292 women to 263 men. The U.S. women took home 61 medals. The men had 55. The women won 27 of the 46 American golds. If the U.S. were divided into two countries, one male and the other female, these 27 golds for the women would tie them with Britain for most of any country, but then one ahead of China and far ahead of the American men and anyone else. 
the trend is clear. The U.S. women are outpacing their male counterparts in medal counts in worldwide competition. Given these numbers, it should be pointed out that prior to the passing of the legislation, Title IX, in 1972 Olympics in Munich, American women won 23 medals compared to 71 for the U.S. men. The women didn't even win a single medal in gymnastics and had no goals, if you can believe this, in track and field. So, at the 1972 Olympics, the women can barely compete. But that same year, the U.S. Congress passed Title IX, in which it barred sex discrimination in education programs that receive federal funding. And then a sport revolution begins for women, and we have since begun dominating in worldwide competition. American women are now dominant in many sports, including gymnastics, swimming, basketball, rowing, water polo, and soccer. American women took gold in all these sports except soccer, where they were upset by Sweden. The U.S. had the largest overall team in Rio with 554 members, and the women, 291 of them, outnumbered the men, which only brought 263 athletes. And this was for the second straight Olympiad that the women outnumbered their male counterparts. The reason these numbers are so important is because of the significance and role sports can play in the life of girls. The following ad by Nike conveys this very message. If you let me play, if you let me play sports. I would like myself more. I'll have more self-confidence. If you let me play sports. If you let me play. If you let me play. I'll be 60% less likely to get breast cancer. I will suffer less depression. If you let me play sports. I will be more likely to leave a man Beats me. I'll be less likely to get pregnant before I want to. I will learn. I will learn what it means to be strong. To be strong. If you let me play. Play sports. If you let me play sports. Bottom line, sports help girls find success on the field, in the classroom, and in the boardrooms across the country. And it helps America maintain its stronghold on winning gold medals. Success breeds success. So if you let her play, the positive experience cannot be understated. Yes, some men have been forced to the bench, but those who have finally been allowed in the game, the evidence is in. Winners ensue. To get an idea how people ended up on the bench, we decided to talk to someone who went through the early stages of implementing Title IX throughout their entire athletic department. My search soon led me back to Cal State East Bay, a school that when deciding how to be compliant, realized real soon their football program had to go. We sat down with Professor Robert Zambetti, who played a major role in the implementation of Title IX at Cal State Hayward, now Cal State East Bay. Okay, can you just tell us uh, what you professionally are currently doing and what you were doing in 1972 when Title IX was passed? Well, presently I'm a professor emeritus of kinesiology and I am working part-time after my retirement. I retired in 2009. In 72, I was doing a lot of different things. I started working here in 67 and I was part-time until 72 actually for four years I was getting more and more I was almost full-time and then I became full-time in 72. How did Title IX affect your job? I don't think it affected my job very much in in essence because you're saying that Title IX in 72, it didn't filter down to our department for several years after, after that. That's an important fact to know. And, I mean, I had heard about it. It was in the air. Um, but it didn't become reality until... I'm not sure where the emphasis came from, whether it's from the president of the university... Um, I must have been. Mm -hmm. And then it filters down. And by the time it got to us, it was in the 80s before we actually had to implement the, the, the letter, uh, letter and spirit of uh, Title IX. And at that time when it was enacted, what changes occurred within your department and, and in the structuring for you? 
Well, I remember very clearly having a departmental meeting because this department is a little different than most depart university departments where they have athletics, which is usually separate from the physical education department. Here, it was integral to it. Every coach was a teaching professor. You wouldn't be hired just for coaching. Very few exceptions. I don't know if people now know what Title IX really said. I think people think it's equal. You have to give the same amount to women as men, which it is not. No. It's proportional to the student population. So if there are 60% women in the university, then 60% of the, of the resources should go to women's sports. Uh, it was very difficult because if you had 80 people on a football team, that is more athletes than all the female athletes combined in every sport, including swimming and water polo, which the same woman usually did both at that mm -hmm. time. Now it's not that way. And they would count them double. And it, you couldn't make it up. There's no way you could get enough females to do that. We were intent on following the letter and the spirit of the law. There was no trying to get around it. There was no grinding your teeth, saying, oh, this is terrible. This is the way it is, and we're going to do this. And it was just the way it was. So it was obvious that you could not have a football team and do this be in the spirit and the letter of the law. It would be impossible. Mm -hmm. Or we could get rid of all the other men's sports and have football, which wasn't going to happen, but you know that was the choice we had. Because we used to have like 16 or 17 sports before. We now have, from, uh, it's either four or five men's sports now. That's a big difference. Yeah. And we have like seven or eight women's sports to, to make it balanced. Yeah. So we have water polo for women, but not for men. We had water polo for men and not for women in, in the, the time scale you were talking about. So... They were swimming now for women. It was swimming men and women before. Now it's only women. Okay. So I believe Title IX was great for myself and for many of the female athletes who I have had the pleasure of coaching and serving, including my, my co-director, Karen, and uh, as well, Vanessa, who played, both of them played college basketball. And, and that's, that's a reality. It's, it's been good for women. Who hasn't it been good for? Well, I, I agree with you. I think it has been good for women. And I, I thought it was, a, <clears throat> with some of its flaws, I think it, it still was far better than it was. Well, I guess, I suppose it's, hasn't been as good for the not elite male athletes. The not elite. That's a good point. So I don't have any grudge or anything about it. I think it was a good thing to happen. I have two daughters. You know, they they didn't take advantage of that particular thing, but my perspective would be for them also. Um, I... I personally think that the worst that happened was some of the, some of the men coaches. That not me particularly, but the the swimming coach for the men, the water polo coach for men, the football coach, the football coaches for men. There right, like, it's always the, more the whole eight. team of them. Wow, yeah. eight. Yeah, and but in this particular situation, it didn't affect us that much. Because those people were faculty members teaching uh, core classes uh, in our department. Do you think there could have been another way to achieve the same results? No. No. Why is that? Status quo is too uh, comfortable? It was, um, 
it had to be something draconian. It, you, you can't pussyfoot around with that particular thing. It would have worked here. I think our perspective and it would have worked. But you go to any place else. In fact, some years later, after we had gone through this whole thing, a lot of the other universities hadn't done anything. They just thought they'd get a, they were just not going to touch them. Well, I graduated from San Jose State, and they actually asked me to be on some, it wasn't a formal committee, it was actually a lunch about it. And how did we, because now it was coming to them, and now they're realizing they're going to have to do something that's going to be really hard. Uh, and I'm in there, and there's, I can, I can sympathize with them, but not really, because mm-hmm. uh, they didn't take it seriously. And they said, you know, how did you guys do this? And, and I told them, and, and I told them exactly what it's going to entail, and they were, you know, pulling their hair out, kind of very depressed and things like that. Mm-hmm. I said, well, why didn't you do this before? Right. Why did you, why did you wait so long? But they weren't going to answer me on that. Um, <laughs> so, I, the answer to your direct question, I, no, I think it's the only way it could have happened. So thank you as a past student, and I thank you as someone who had the opportunity to speak with you, and I really do appreciate it. As Zambetti indicated, Title IX demanded that schools begin serving their student body equitably, and if a law was not passed, schools would not have changed their ways. I think it's important to note, Title IX applies to equality throughout the education system. This includes curricular and non-curricular opportunities. In the classroom, a female has every right to a quality education, and in the athletic arena, she has a right to all that her male counterparts receive. It should also be noted that gender-fluid boundaries are now finally being addressed. And under Title IX, it should be pretty obvious. No person in the United States shall, on the basis of sex, be excluded from participation in, be denied the benefits of, or be subjected to discrimination under any education program or activity receiving federal financial assistance. No matter what pronoun one chooses, equality should be assumed for all. For those who are still unsure of the impact Title IX has been on sport participation, I offer you these following statements. If you were or are a female athlete and you perform or practice in the same facility as your male counterpart, thank Title IX. As a female, if you were or if you currently are on a wrestling team, thank Title IX. If as an athlete you have full use or had full use of weightlifting facilities, thank Title IX. If you have or will receive an athletic scholarship, thank Title IX. If you are a female in or headed to grad school, thank Title IX. If you had or have access to all learning opportunities as your male counterparts, thank Title IX. If you're a female and your athletic coach is an elite level coach, thank Title IX. In a nutshell, if you were not excluded from that which your male counterparts enjoyed, you felt the positive impact of Title IX, just as we at Pod Save the Rest of Us have enjoyed. Title IX literally changed our lives. In a general manner, we have stated how important sport participation is for young girls. Our own Pod Save the Rest of Us, Vanessa Rogers, gets very specific as she expresses how sport participation saves her life every day. Taking part in sports and athletics as a really young kid all the way up through college was probably the main determining influence in my life. It showed me so much that I use today, so much that I really think, and I've had some people tell me that maybe sports participation as a child actually saved my life. Sports were a place for me to go where I felt a part of something, where I felt like my being there mattered and was important. I was going to be invested in. I was going to be taught something. And there were expectations on me. 
I think I liked meeting those expectations. I loved the learning. I loved that I could leave my thoughts outside the gym. I would forget about the challenges that were happening in my house. I would forget about the name calling, forget about the yelling and the feeling of not being safe. And I'd walk in the gym and I knew I was safe and I knew I had a family there. And sports showed me what a family can be. And not only that, but um, I learned that I, I could be successful when I really worked hard. The team building and understanding that other people have different strengths and different things that hold them back, they're motivated differently too. All of these things have really shown me how to have successful relationships. So, you know, the other side of it too is the discipline. I'm a, I'm a, I don't know what the right word is, a stubborn, a stubborn person, um, a hard-headed person, I guess. Um, I'm just someone who likes to make my own decisions. So I don't love when people try to tell me how I'm going to do things. And I also would get into the gym and realize that I didn't have all the answers. I wasn't there to be calling the shots. That was where I really learned to listen. I learned that you follow, you know, what your coach says. You respect your coach. You don't say things to them to be disrespectful or to have a power struggle with them. You respect their authority, their knowledge, and you trust that you are in the best hands. And sometimes that can really be hard to do, generally speaking. But um, as someone who I, I think of myself as a leader, I really got to see the value in being led. So honestly, I don't know where I would be without sports. I don't know where I would be without the idea that I am a winner, (laughs) that I can win, that I can build skills in myself, and I know how to commit to something and bond with other people. Those things didn't happen for me in, you know, regular school classes or things like that. It, It kept me out of a lot of trouble, to be honest, because that was where I found my identity, and it was with people who were accepting and with people who wanted the best for their peers, their team. They wanted to win. And I'm really, really grateful for that. Before we go into our post game, we wanted to share a clip from a wrestling coach from Northwest Missouri, who was what we would call on the sidelines. While the clip makes us cringe, we wanted to include it as there are people that feel this way, and so we think it's important to address. Hi, my name is John Rizzuti. Today we're on the campus of Northwest Missouri State University in Maryville. A new bill was enacted in Congress called the Education Amendments Act of 1972, then signed into law by President Nixon. One part of that legislation is called Title IX one of the most controversial laws ever enacted, more so today, 30 years later. The law was enacted to help women gain access to graduate schools who had severe quota limitations on female acceptance and faculty hiring, which was dominated by men. Now, the law was a good thing. Athletics, they weren't even mentioned. Since 1981, there have been 170 college wrestling programs cut. More than half of all teams in existence, this according to the General Accounting Office. USA Wrestling says even more. What's the bottom line? Our best Olympic sports, wrestling, gymnastics, track and field, baseball, they're all on their way to extinction. So what caused all this havoc with wrestling? A word came into play in 1979 known as proportionality. What it means is that the ratio of student-athletes 
must be roughly equivalent to the ratio of the general overall student population. There's one small problem with proportionality. You see, men and women have vastly different interest levels in athletics. Now there's not one person who I know who wants to discriminate against any female in participating in intercollegiate sports. But listen to this fact. A typical college wrestling team with 30 or 35 participants offers a maximum of 10 scholarships, often none. On the other hand, a woman's track team to fill 21 positions offers a minimum of 18 scholarships. Unfortunately, the gender quota system known as proportionality has caused men's teams, especially wrestling, to be repeatedly cut. Following that quote, Karen, let's move into our post game. What are your thoughts? Well, I got to tell you, it is so hard for me to listen to a clip like that. It is just so frustrating. Um, as we were getting ready for this episode, I, I've done a lot of research, and I one interesting quote I or one interesting statistic I found was that since Title IX's passage, female participation at the high school level has grown more than a thousand percent. Yeah, that's amazing. And at the college level, it's more than 600%. And when I think about that, I just don't see how that aligns with what that man was saying. I think given the opportunity, girls and women are very interested in participating in sports. Yeah, I think people are interested in in, in participation and whatever, whatever excites them. You know, it shouldn't be gender-based. I, I this this morning in my uh, news feed on Facebook, there was a fundraiser fundraiser for a high school team's girls wrestling team, and I thought, "There's the progress. It's right there." You know, there was no wrestling. Was there rest, a girls wrestling team or any girls wrestling when you were in high school? No, definitely not. No, there was such a stigma about it too. Like, oh. No way. There's even a stigma for the boys on the wrestling team because they were, they wear a singlet, you know, that doesn't look very masculine. These these boundaries that we give ourselves, I just, I, I just think they're so limiting and they create so many problems. Definitely. And, and I think about that when I watched the U.S. women's hockey team take first place this week. I think yeah. the same thing as you were thinking about girls wrestling. I just think it's so awesome to see those women out there performing at that level I just, I thought they looked amazing. It was such, it was so fun to watch that game. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> here's a little funny story, in my opinion. There's certain sports that we just, you know, we're so used to the women dominating now, like tennis with Serena and Venus Williams, for example. At one time we had, you know, some big, I was probably the U.S. Open on, and men were playing, and my niece came over, and she goes, men play tennis? Like, she just had never seen it. It's a women's sport. Women dominate. It's it's because we've been nationally so, so incredibly competitive, and, you know, we have a stronghold on championships in so many sports, and for example, tennis and women's soccer. I love that moment. I, I think it's amazing that when I was a kid, that never would have happened. And I think, especially if you look at tennis, Billie Jean King played such a huge role in that and, and fighting for equal pay for women in these tournaments. She, she threatened to boycott the 1973 U.S. Open over pay disparity. And it was the first tournament to award equal pay to women. And today, all the major tournaments have equal pay for men and women. And I, I think that's great progress. Now, the smaller tournaments, there's still disparity. So there's still progress to be made. But I, I feel like we're going in the right direction there. And that I think that's great. Yeah, I think it's interesting, though, that we, we have to keep fighting to move the needle. There it shouldn't even be there, in my opinion. It should just be you're interested, you want to, you want to participate, give it a try. You know, it should be that simple. If it doesn't hurt anybody physically, emotionally, should go for it. We should want that for our children. Their future, I think, really depends on it. Yeah, and you you brought up the women's soccer. I think that's a great example of that. Uh, women today are still fighting for equal pay. I think women's soccer, there was so much hype around that 1999 World Cup team um, with players like Mia Hamm, Brandi Chastain, Julie yeah. Foudy. They were amazing. They really dominated the field. And I think they really brought women's soccer to the forefront. 
in the United States, I feel like people really watched them and were interested and got behind them. And I think they did a lot to change the stereotypes for surrounding female athletes. Yet today, women's soccer is still well underpaid compared to the men. And, and that's happening at a time when women's soccer is bringing in a lot more money than men's soccer. Yeah, and on a side note, they, that group of soccer players, those dominant athletes, they call themselves Title Niners. Yeah, they know that because of the women that fought before them to, and and their male supporters fought to give them equal access. That they just went out and played. They didn't know better. They had opportunities. They got great training. They got scholarships. They've got to perform at the college level, have their college paid for, and then represent the United States. Without, without Title Nine, um, you know, Zambetti and Sawyer's both argued that it, it probably would have eventually happened, but it would have been a lot slower. And we see that just in every other social realm of the United States or across the world that change happens slowly and has to be forced upon us we're just too resistant and those that are enjoying it enjoy their their privilege and they don't mind to exclude others in particular women speaking of which do you want to talk about that article yes about the soccer team in afghanistan yeah well here's a quote from that team that i thought was very um i just I was inspired by it when they said all the girls play with this passion and energy for the pride of their nation. Although most national teams play with that, these girls recognize the challenges that they face, the unity that they need to have, and hopefully the future that they will bring for young women around the world. They are doing it at great risk. You know, they're getting sped on, they're being um, assaulted, they're being threatened. And it just, it just goes back to, you know, every time someone is trying to move that needle. They do it at great risk, you know, just like Jackie Robinson did, just like Billie Jean Jean King did, you know, just trying to create those opportunities. You do it with a certain level of risk and sometimes you risk your life. Yeah, I read that article and I was just amazed at the, the courage that those women were showing just to even just to get to soccer practice every day. I, I was really inspired by that. And, and listeners, it's a BBC article, and we'll post it on our website so that you can read it too. It's very inspiring. Yeah, it's just a good example of of creating those opportunities, and that's exactly what Title IX did. And just look at where girls are now in sports. It's just it, it's just awe-inspiring. I think both of our lives have been – largely impacted by Title IX and the opportunities that we were able to have because of it. I think I know my life would be completely different if Title IX was not enacted. My life, my growing up, my time was spent playing sports because that's what I love to do. And I was fortunate enough to have the opportunities to be able to play. I, you know, I started off playing on a boys team in fifth grade because there was no girls team and I didn't want to be playing on the boys team. Um, I was I was a really shy kid and it was a little intimidating for me, but playing on the boys team for me was much better than not playing at all. And I was fortunate enough to be on a team with boys and coaches that treated me like any other player. I feel like I was very fortunate in that way. Yeah, I, you know, I was on the earlier part of Title Nine. You know, if you listen to Zambetti's um uh, his interview, he's talking about, you know, early 80s, they're just starting to implement something that was passed in 72. Well, that that's that that's my playing ground, you know, time. And um, I was fortunate, although I come from a small town and there's a lot of issues in regards to that. But when it when it came to sports and letting kids play, no matter what we got to play. So I didn't know that there were these barriers and these these um societal expectations of girls do this boys do get to play you know it just we all played and I just cannot imagine not having that throughout my life well it also created my career right yeah my whole life has been about playing and then later coaching so it's it's been it's a great life it's recess every day who wouldn't want that yeah, I, I'm I'm excited that I saw I saw an interview and I can't remember who it was with, but it was one of the 1999 women's 
World Cup women's players. And she was saying how, you know, girls today don't even know what Title IX is. And while there's part of me that wants them to know, right, because it's important to know the fights that were fought before you to allow you to have the opportunities that you have now. And then there's this other part of me that's so thankful that they're not still fighting those fights that they don't know because they have the opportunities. Well, with that, uh, you know, we have our three takeaways. You want to do it now or you have a few more comments? I I just had a couple more comments. Um, Yeah, go for it. And I just wrote down a couple thoughts. I I wrote down um, that I would love to live in a world when someone says, I'm going to watch the Final Four basketball game, the Final Four tournament. And it's not just assumed that it's the men's tournament. Yeah, and I would like to add that when I I go on ESPN and I try and watch women's basketball, it just says basketball and I have to go, man, is this men or women's? But I know if it's women's because it'll say there'll be men, there'll be basketball and then there'll be women's basketball. And it drives me insane. I'd also love to live in a world when if someone says you run like a girl, throw like a girl, play like a girl, they mean it as a compliment. It's not considered derogatory or right. Like when Mia Hamm said, "Well, if you're a little faster, you would too." <laughs> I love I love that quote. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Her, her quote was, "My coach said I run like a girl, and I said if he ran a little faster, he could too." I love yeah, that. Me too. I um, I also want to live in a world where we can watch any women's sporting event on TV any day, and the announcers are never commenting on how the woman looks. They are just commenting on the skills that she's demonstrating while she's playing her sport. Yes. I think that in today's society, when we're trying to fight, you know, so much um, sexual harassment and the treatment of girls in sports and like, oh, she's very pretty or she, you know, this, that, it's all physical appearances. I think it continues to perpetuate uh, the the need for for girls to protect themselves, you know, you you objectify me. Now I have to worry about that when I'm walking in my in in my own space, manipulating myself through my world. I have to worry about your how you're perceiving me physically. I think it's it's just adding to the how we treat girls so poorly and girls become the very essence of victim just walking through their world. So I have a few takeaways. First of all, Title IX was hard fought, so take advantage of this educational code to the fullest. Leave no stone unturned. Participate in everything, anything that strikes your fancy. Two, girls thrive in the athletic arena. The proof is in the pudding. Historically, when you let them play, good things happen. Adults, you should do everything you can to encourage your daughters to participate. And the third kind of stems from number two. Since young girls benefit so greatly from sport participation, we must end the negative masculine, feminine, antiquated ideals. Preconceived notions of femininity hurt girls. Let your daughter sweat, be strong, and compete. If she wants to, studies have proven your mental, physical development benefits immeasurably from sport participation. So let her play. I'd like to thank Linda Sawyers and Robert Zambetti for allowing us to interview them. They provided so much insight into Title IX. Also, here's a shout out to to fellow podcaster Lisa Zambetti. Check out her great podcast, Real Crimes. This episode was edited by Karen Castro and produced by Elizabeth Stanley and Karen Castro. We hope you enjoyed listening. Please tune in next week when we examine how Title IX is being utilized to keep our school campuses safe. Prepare yourself for an intense but informative Pod Save the Rest of Us episode. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes if you have not already done so, and please rate us if you're enjoying our podcast. Please send an email if you have any questions or feedback. As always... Thanks for tuning in. If you wish to find us, you can find us on Instagram at Pod Save the Rest of Us and on Twitter at Save the Rest of Us. Thank you for tuning in. We want to thank our contributors. Introduction voiceover, David Lewis. Hunter Lewis for introduction music. Danny Burns for our transition music. Caprice Hall for our graphic artwork. Jasmine Smith for web design and content. As always... Technical support provided by Robert Stanley.
We all have common ground. Let's find it together. Got her feelings. We got her feelings.